So uh, there was a movie came out not too long ago about Noah, and uh, maybe some of y'all saw that movie, a lot of criticism about it, and then some really, uh, Christian, uh, really great Christians that I admire their opinion on things came out and said, hey, you know what? Uh, the Bible doesn't say a whole lot about the details of um, the flood and what happened during that time. And uh, so he might not have been so off the mark because uh, he was just using his imagination. So I thought what we would do, kind of piggybacking on that uh, movie that came out, is just kind of talk about it, talk about what the Bible says. Maybe you can see some stuff in this story of Noah, the ark he built. And the flood sent by God. Here's what we're going to see today. Here's what we're going to realize today. The ark is a beautiful Old Testament picture or type of Jesus Christ. Now we talked about that some last week. We're going to get into it even more this week. So let's go. Last week we ended with verse 8. So let's go back to Genesis 6 and pick up on verse 9. And let's just go through verse 16. Genesis chapter 9. Verse six, through verse six. I'm sorry, Genesis chapter six, verses nine through sixteen, and the scriptures on the screen. Also, you have notes. Uh, those of you who are new to our church, if you're visiting today, uh, you have notes there in your seat or a seat close by. Just get those, and got a few blanks in there. You can fill out. Take that card home with you. So let's read the Bible. This is the account of Noah and his family. Noah was a righteous man. As a matter of fact. This next sentence tells us three things about Noah, three things. Noah was a righteous man, blameless among the people of his time, had a great reputation in the community. Now, how many of you know that when you're a righteous person and you're blameless, not only are you going to have people who admire that, but you're going to have people who aren't going to like that. So Noah was well known in his area. In his community, he was known as a righteous man, a blameless man. There were some who admired that. I'm sure most did not. When we, do, when we read, and we will read it today, what it was like during the days of Noah, most people did not admire that in him. So he was a righteous man. He was blameless among the people. And uh, the reason he was righteous and the reason he was blameless among the people is found in the last part of that where it says he walked faithfully with God. Because we're not able... To live righteously. We're not able to have the kind of reputation that's going to really impact the lives of people for eternity unless we walk faithfully with God. Look at verse 10. Noah had three sons. I'm sure they were all mad at him for these names. Shem, Ham. I thought it was going to be like the uh, Three Stooges there when I read that first one. Y'all remember Shem on the three? I never liked him. Uh, so, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and of course, names meant something back then, and uh, these names certainly have meanings. That'd be a good study for you. Verse 11, now the earth, here it goes, telling us how it was. Now, what did Jesus say last week? As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be right before I come back the second time. Now, we, he's already come the first time. When he came the first time, what was the little town called he came to? Bethlehem. So he came the first time, but when Jesus made that statement that we brought out last week from Matthew, when he said, as it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be right before I come back, he was talking about the second time. You can't say come back unless you've already been here. So uh, he says, verse 11, so in order to know what we need to be looking for 
to know that Jesus is about to come again is to study how it was in the days of Noah. So as I read this today, think about today and see if you don't agree with me that we are living in these days. Now the earth was corrupt in God's sight and was full of violence. Verse 12, God saw how corrupt the earth had become, for all the people on earth had corrupted their ways. So God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people, for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I am surely going to destroy both them and the earth. I got to tell you, boy, back in the Old Testament, between God and man, you know, Jesus wasn't that intercessor in the way he is now. And boy, when the judgment came, it just came, didn't it? And so uh, this tells us, you say, well, I'm so glad God isn't like that now. No, God's the same. God views sin the same that he viewed sin back then. But we have an advocate. We have an attorney. We have someone pleading our case before God. And his name is Jesus before God the Father. So it says in verse 12 or verse 13, so God said to Noah, I'm going to put an end to all people for the earth is filled with violence because of them. I'm surely um, going to destroy both them and the earth. So, so make yourself an ark, Noah. Make yourself an ark of cypress. The King James Version calls it gopher wood, cypress wood. Make rooms in it. Make rooms in that ark and coat it with pitch on the inside and out. This is how, Noah, you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits long. It is to be 50 cubits wide and it is to be 30 cubits high. Make a roof for it leaving below the roof an opening one cubit high all around. Put a door on the side of the ark, and inside the ark make a lower, middle, and upper deck. So God was pretty detailed in how he wanted Noah to make this ark. Now, God never does anything without a reason. And the reasons God does things and the reason God makes things and creates things and sets in place systems the way he does is because it pictures something. And the more you study the Word of God, the deeper your understanding of Scripture and the richer the Word of God becomes to you. So that's kind of what we're doing here to let you know that we know that the ark is not just about a boat that made it through the flood, but the ark was a sermon. The ark was a message from God. We go all the way from Genesis, the first part of the Bible, to almost the very end of the Bible, to the book of 1 Peter. And we're not going to read this today, because I want you to study this on your own. I believe I put that reference in your notes, 1 Peter 3, 18 through 22. But the Apostle Peter tells us in the New Testament that the Old Testament ark is a prophecy. The Old Testament ark, the boat itself, the ship itself is a message. He says to us in that passage that it is a picture of the death, burial, 
and resurrection of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So, so today as I'm preaching this, I don't want you to be sitting out there going, man, where is he getting all that from? Because Peter tells us that it is a picture. It is a picture of something. So as I told you last week, to understand the Bible, to understand the Bible and really get all you can get out of the scriptures, you must always remember that all of the Bible is about Jesus. The Old Testament is about Jesus and the New Testament is about Jesus. When you understand that, then you know why the book of Leviticus is in there. Because even though we don't practice under that old economy, the things they did in the book of Leviticus to have their sins eradicated, all of that all of those things they did that are so weird to us that we read about in Leviticus, they are pictures of Jesus. They are pictures of his death, the shedding of his blood, his resurrection from the grave. So when you understand, reading over there in Leviticus and all these other places in the Bible, when you understand that, it helps you understand the Bible as a whole much, much better. Uh, you know, there's places in the Bible uh, where you'll be reading and, um, and you're like, really? This is so boring. Have you ever read over there in Chronicles where it says so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died? And so-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. So-and-so begat so-and-so and he died. And y'all are looking like you hadn't read that because I know what happened when you got there. You just skipped that part, didn't you? And that's all right. That's all right. But it's really important because it's showing the lineage of Jesus. It's showing... Uh, how the, the bloodline through which Christ came into the world. All of that's very, very, very important. Uh, the Bible is equally inspired, but the Bible's not equally inspiring. Amen? Did you get that? So all of it's inspired. The Holy Spirit wrote the whole book, but some of it's not really that inspiring. I will tell you a story, though, about a lady who was praying for her husband to become a Christian. She was praying for her husband to be saved, and she was reading through the whole Bible, and he was really hard against church and hard against all the religion and religious people and all of that. I don't really care for religion or religious people myself. But anyway, he just, he just kind of put all church people in one category. You know, they're a bunch of hypocrites, and I don't want to go out there and blah, blah, blah. And by the way, can I just give y'all a real news bulletin today? I mean, this is big news right off the presses. There are hypocrites in the church. So call 60 Minutes, you know, because they need to do a story on that because none of us knew that. Can I just tell you there are hypocrites in the church? Can I just go ahead and tell you there are hypocrites in the bridge? Can I just go ahead and really make it easy and tell you that sometimes the hypocrite is me? Y'all look really holy when I said that. Little halos were popping up all over the sanctuary. But sometimes it's me, because i got to tell you, when, when um, I'm sorry, guys. Y'all are awesome, man. I, I tell you, I don't know what they do with me. I know they're ready to go. When are we going to get a preacher that is not old? So, so I uh, got my mic up here now. So, so when you, if, if hypocrisy is saying one thing, and doing another thing, then I got to tell you that I do that sometimes. Sometimes I preach to you guys, and I tell you, you know, we got to do this, we got to do that, and on the, inside, on the inside, I hear this little voice going, 
you're not doing it. You know, that, I mean, that's not God's voice. God don't talk like that. But I hear the little voice in there saying, you know, you, you don't have this. And, and when I hear that little voice, I usually tell y'all I just heard it. Don't I? And I'll look at you when I'm preaching because I don't, sometimes I'll say, boy, you need to do this. We need to do that. And then I go out and have the wrong attitude and I do the wrong thing. So if being a hypocrite is saying one thing and doing another, then sometimes it's me. So for those of you or your friends or relatives or family who use that for an excuse, it's no excuse. Look at them when they say that and go, yeah, sometimes I'm one. And they go, well, I ain't going out there to that church. And then you look at them and say, oh, come on, one more hypocrite won't matter. Come on. <laughs> Amen? Because you know they're going to be one if they ever come to church. <laughs> okay. Uh, uh, y'all seeing people in your mind right now, and that's just wrong. Um, so all the Bible is true, all the Bible is real, all the Bible is about Jesus. So anyway, this woman, y'all thought I forgot, didn't you? This woman, squirrel, this woman was praying for her husband to be saved, and, you know, he was hard against God. So she goes to church, and she leaves her Bible open, flat down, you know, opens it up, and then lays it face down so she won't lose her place. And when she gets back, she can pick up where she left off. And she went to church, and when she got back from church, she walked in, and her husband, she could just tell he had been crying. Well, she thought somebody died because he never cried. And she said, honey, what in the world? He said, I, I, I got saved while you were at church. And they just rejoiced together, and they hugged, and he was so happy, and she was so happy, and she got to thinking, she said, how in the world, I mean, did Billy Graham come on TV, or what happened? He said, uh, I just saw your Bible over there, and he said, I just started reading it, and I, it just got me, and I, I just asked Jesus to come in my heart, and she thought about where she had been reading. She'd been reading, so-and-so begot, so-and-so, and he died, and so-and-so begot, so-and-so, so she said, but at that place, I mean, Really? He said, well, I was just reading it, and this guy died, and that guy died, and that guy died, and that guy died. And he said, don't know me, I was going to die. <laughs> so he said, I thought I better get saved. So you never know. You never know when the Bible is going to speak to you or from where. The Bible is, all of the Bible is inspired, but not all of the Bible is necessarily inspiring. Jesus is the hero of the Bible. He's the hero of the Bible. So let's look at three things very quickly. Number one, I want you to look at the material of the ark. The material. That's your first little blank to fill in, I believe. The material of the ark. What was it made of? Well, King James Version says it was made of gopher wood. Now, when I was a kid and we read the Noah story and we got the gopher wood, I just thought that was funny. So it took the Sunday school teacher 15 minutes to get us under control because we was going off on gopher. It's made out of gopher wood, gopher. <laughs> I got to tell you all this funny story. My wife, squirrel, my wife babysits a family in our church. She babysits their kids one day a, a week and... Uh, she just loves those little kids, and um, <clears throat> I won't, I'm not going to tell you who the family is, Jason, Dina, Britt, but she, um, <laughs> she takes care of their little kids, and uh, they got a little, I think a little five-year-old, 
And they're, they're homeschooled, so they're in there doing their studies. This has nothing to do with the sermon. Just, this is just for pure entertainment. And, uh, and he's over there, and, and uh, he just comes in there where Millie is, and he's just laughing because he's been studying world, you know, uh, stuff about the world. And he said, there is a guy in Russia, and his name is Putin. <laughs> and Millie goes, but he's like the president of Russia. And Millie was trying to teach him, and he said, Putin, his name's Putin, man, Putin. So... Hadn't you always wanted to say that word in church? <laughs> but for those of you all who brought visitors, I'm sorry. I cannot promise something like that ain't going to happen again before we leave here today, though. But uh, so it was made of gopher wood, and um, most Bible scholars believe that gopher wood is cypress. And then when you go to the I believe, um, read, I believe I was reading this out of the, either the New King James, my text earlier, or the Na New International Version. It, it says cypress, cypress wood. Now, you know about cypress wood. Uh, you folks who know anything about wood, you know cypress does not easily rot. It's almost an indestructible wood. Um, cypress um, um, is a picture of the Lord Jesus Christ. As a matter of fact, wood in general in the Bible is a picture of humanity. And I'll show you that in just a minute. So throughout the whole Bible, wood is a symbol of humanity, and the ark as a whole, the ark in and of itself, pictures Jesus because it rescues us, but it also pictures us, and we'll talk about that just a little bit today. So the very fact that this ship, this ark, was made of cypress wood speaks of the indestructible humanity of Jesus Christ. Now, in the Bible, sometimes he was called the Son of God, and at other times he was called the Son of Man, because he was both. He was born of a human woman, but the Father was God in heaven. So he was the Son of God, he is the Son of God. He was the Son of Man. He is the Son of Man. And he is talked about that way. So the wood talks about the humanity of Jesus. Now let me give you three scriptures. I think I may have put these in your notes. I don't remember. But in Jeremiah 17, and I'm not going to preach on this because it's one of my favorite passages in the Bible. I'll just encourage you to read those first seven verses. I believe it's the first seven verses of Jeremiah 17 where it talks about a righteous man being like a tree, wood, planted by the rivers of water, teaching us that if you want to stand strong in the storm, if you want to continue to bear fruit as a Christian, even when the drought, spiritual drought, how many of y'all been through a spiritual drought? Anybody? Ever, yeah, sure. Everybody's going to go through that. Everybody's going to go through that. That's not your fault. A spiritual drought is not your fault. Now, when you move away from God, that means you just move out from under the spout where the Spirit's coming out. So that's your fault. But you're going to go through spiritual droughts when you're walking straight as a stick. I mean, when you're living right, when you're praying and reading your Bible and walking in God, you're going to go through spiritual dry places. The Lord's going to see to it. You know, um, when I have devotion, 
my personal devotion. I know this sounds crazy, but I like juicy devotions. And by that I mean, I like it when my heart is moved and tears come in my eyes and, and I just feel God, you know, and I hear him. And I love devotion when it's like that. But I got to tell you, sometimes devotion isn't like that. Sometimes when I'm reading the Bible, I'm thinking about everything else in the world. And I got to go back over there and read that again because I was thinking about 10 other things. And then I get down to pray and I forget what I'm praying about. And I'm thinking about golf, and I'm thinking about, uh, which is my new pastime, I'd like to announce here that I broke 120 this week. <laughs> hey, that's good for me. And no animals died. That's really good. No people were injured. So, so um, you know, I think about other things. I think about, you know, you guys, I think about things you're going through, and I, I get off track. I think about what Millie and I just went through, and... You know, I just kind of get off track. So that's why I have to keep a list. That's why I write things down, because it helps you stay focused in the desert. You're going to go through the desert. You're going to go through a spiritual desert. And when you go through a spiritual desert, the enemy is going to come and tell you, you, I mean, he's going to come with condemnation. So the Bible says in Jeremiah 17, you've got to get those roots down deep in the spirit and deep in the word so when the drought comes or when the storm comes, you can stand tall and continue to bear fruit. Even when the drought causes other trees to wither, you will, you will thrive. That's in Jeremiah 17. So it talks about the wood, the tree planted by the rivers of water. Isaiah 53 the Lord uh, talks, uh, uh, is prophesied there as a root, Jesus, a root, wood, the source of wood, a root out of a dry ground. Um, also in Isaiah, Jesus is prophesied as a rod or a branch out of the stem or stump of Jesse. And Jesse, of course, being Old Testament, uh, Joseph, uh, the Jesse, the father of Joseph, the, that lineage we were talking about a while ago. But all of these references about wood, and there are many, many types of pictures, but the wood is a picture of God's mighty tree. Jesus Christ was God's mighty tree. And Jesus Christ was cut down in the prime of his life. And so we see the humanity of Jesus in the material of the ark, the gopher or the cypress wood. So now let's look at number two, the covering of the ark, the covering. So he says in um, Genesis 6, 14a, the first part of the verse, he talks about the gopher wood, the cypress. The last part of Genesis 6, 14, 6, 14b, which would be the last part of the verse, says clear instructions from God, cover the ark, cover the boat, cover the ship, inside and outside with pitch. Now, what is pitch? Pitch is a very, very sticky tar. Very sticky tar. And I don't know how they got that. That's a whole other study. I don't know what their system was, but I got to tell you, I'm going to tell you in a little while how big this boat was. And to have that much tar, that's a lot of tar, people. That's a lot of pitch. Now, I want you to follow me here. So here's what God's saying. God's saying, when you make this boat, when you make this ark, not only do I want you to make it out of cypress, not only do I want you to make it out of very durable wood that can take the water, but then I want you to go on the 
inside of it, and I want you to coat the inside with this tar, this pitch. And then I want you to go on the outside of the boat, and I want you to coat it on the outside with this tar, this pitch. The pitch, this tar, was applied to the ark to caulk the seams where the boards came together. I'm sure they, they overlapped, and so they would make sure there was good amount of um, sealant, uh, that pitch. And, of course, today when you go to Lowe's, I don't even know what, which one to buy because there's 400 choices, and I always get the wrong one. So that usually means I have to hire somebody to do it. But anyway, um, so uh, they're, they're pitching this on the inside, pitching it on the outside. He says uh, it's really important to caulk the seams. And now here's why, and you already know this, but I'm just, I want to re to keep the water from coming in. Now, last week, what did we say the water represented in this story? Does anybody remember? What does the water represent? It represents the judgment of God. The judgment of God. The flood was the judgment of God. God, hey, listen, and let me tell you, and I know people don't like to hear this, but God has a deadline. God has a line. I don't know where that line is, but they crossed it. And so God said, that's it. And he said, I'm going to send a flood. I'm going to send judgment. Now, I want to tell you, and I'm not trying to be a negative preacher today. I'm just a truth teller. I don't want to be negative, but you know what I do want to be? Realistic. I want to tell you the truth. Judgment's coming again. Judgment is coming again to this earth. And it is coming in the form of a tribulation period and the next big event on God's calendar is the rapture of the church where Jesus is going to come in the clouds and he's going to call we who are Christians, we who are believers, we who have received Jesus, we're going to be caught up to meet the Lord in the air. Now, you might be here today and go, you know, I gave my heart to Jesus, but I'm not sure I buy all that stuff right there. Well, you're going to learn that and read your Bible. And, uh, and you'll get all this. I know it sounds kind of weird to some of you and where you are in your walk with God, but just trust me when I tell you that just like judgment came in Noah's day, judgment's coming again. And the question is going to be whether you're protected from that judgment. And the, and the water in this story is the judgment of God. And so he's saying, I want you to put that pitch on the inside and the outside of the boat and uh, it's really important to do that, keep it from leaking, and also because it had such precious cargo inside. Now, I don't know what you do when you come across something like that in the Scripture when you're reading, and then there's that word pitch, and you're like, okay, I know what that is. That's tar, so you just move on. But I, I did a word study on the word pitch, and it was really interesting. The word pitch comes from the Hebrew word kephar, K-A-P-H-A-R. Now, I'm sure I just put the southern slang on it, buddy, so I don't know what it really sounds like, but that's how I pronounce it, kephar. And what's especially interesting about this word is that same word, kephar, is translated over 70 times in the Bible as atonement. Atonement. So let's talk about atonement. God says to Noah, I want you to cover the inside of the boat, cover the outside of the boat with this pitch, the pitch on the inside, and the pitch on the outside is atonement. He says, I want you to atone the boat. Now, the atonement for us 
the covering for us to protect us from the coming judgment is the precious blood of Jesus Christ. And when you are born into the family of God and you believe on his death for you on the cross and you believe that was done for you, and you believe he rose from the dead to give you life. And you say, I'm tired of living for myself. I want to live for Jesus. And so you give your life to Jesus. It is at that moment that you have received the atonement of your sins. Atonement carries with it the idea of, of paying for, paying for. The blood is a picture that somebody, that's why you, you say, why, why do we have to sing these songs about blood, man? The blood, I mean, we sung them today about the blood of Jesus. Now you're preaching about the blood of Jesus. I mean, we ought to talk about blood. Yes, it's precious. You say, well, what? Well, the blood is a picture of the fact that Jesus gave every, I mean, when you give somebody your blood, you know, we're, we're supporting the Red Cross right now, and sometimes we'll even have the Red Cross come out here, and after church, you know, you gave you tithe, and now you're going to go out there and give you blood. I mean, we want commitment in this church. Amen? And so, Jesus gave his blood. That means he gave his life. Here's what it means. It means he suffered. But he didn't do anything wrong. Jesus never did anything wrong. So who did he suffer for? He suffered for me. What Jesus did atoned for my sins. So when I, at the age of, a ch I was a child when I accepted Jesus, and, and when I asked Jesus into my life, he covered me with his pitch. He covered me with his blood so that when the judgment comes, I will be protected. I will be saved. See, that's all up to you. That's all your choice. All we can do as a church is preach it. All we can do as a church is sing it. All we can do as a church is encourage you to understand it and get it and read it, but you make the choice. But the moment you believe, that was for me. That's for my life. And a lot of you think you're going you're gonna to get to heaven. You think your pitch, your, your covering is your goodness. I'm a good person. You know what the Bible says about your goodness? It's like what? Filthy rags. You're never going to get to heaven on your goodness. You'll never be good enough to go to heaven. So you have to be covered in the blood. Write this word down. <laughs> good luck on spelling it. I didn't know I was going to tell you to write this down. Propitiation. Propitiation. I should have put that on a slide. P-R-O-P-A-T-I-O-N. Okay? <laughs> uh, propitiation. It's in the Bible, and it's a, it means a covering. Because here's what it means. Listen, listen to me. Here's why your goodness won't get you into heaven. You know, people, you go to funerals, they say, he's a good man. Well, that's great, he was a good man, but I hope he was more than a good man. I hope she was more than a good woman. Because, see, if your goodness will do it, 
then you didn't need all that suffering, all that blood Jesus shed and all that. You didn't even need that if you can do it yourself. So, so propitiation means that when God the Father, that Old Testament God who looked down in Genesis and saw the corruption of man and said, I'm wiping everything out of here, I'm wiping it all out, and I'm going to start over. That's basically what God did with the flood and Noah and all that stuff. That, he's, he, listen, he feels the same way about sin now. He feels the exact same way. If y'all think God's softening up a little bit in his old age, you can forget that. God feels the same way. But because of what Jesus did on the cross, because he shed his blood and died and raised from the dead and you believed on him and received that work on the cross and that empty tomb for your salvation, then you're covered in the blood. So when the Father looks at you, he doesn't even see you. He sees his son's blood. He sees the propitiation, the covering. He sees the righteousness of his son. And only your faith in his son can give you that righteousness. And so when he sees that on you, he says, come in. That's why he can say, well done. Because he's seeing the righteousness of his own son. Let's go and uh, look in the Bible in Leviticus 17, 11. Leviticus 17, 11. Here our, our Lord, our Father in heaven is speaking of the blood atonement. And he says, for the life of a creature is in the blood. And I have given it to you to make, everybody say it, atonement for yourselves on the altar. It is the blood that makes atonement for one's life. So it is the blood. Now, and, and back then, you know, People were saved looking for a Messiah. We're, we're saved today looking back at a Messiah and what Messiah has already done. So let's go on the other side of the cross to the book of Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 22. And it says the law, and that's the economy we were in, under in the Old Testament was the law. But under, in the New Testament, since Jesus died on the cross and arose from the dead, we're under a new economy and, it, and we are now not under the law. What are we under? Grace. We're under grace. So he says in Hebrews 9.22, the law requires that everything be cleansed with blood and without the shedding of blood there is what? No forgiveness. No forgiveness of sin. So I would say that's pretty important, wouldn't you? Because I'm counting on being forgiven. I mean, when I stand before Jesus on the last day, I want to be forgiven. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sin. So this is the same truth in these scriptures that is being revealed here in Genesis 6, 14. When the Bible speaks of the pitch, think of blood for you as a believer, applied liberally on the inside and outside of the ark to keep us safe. It is a, that, remember now, that covering was to keep us safe. It was to seal us. It was to seal the ark, and, and the blood of Jesus seals us and provides protection for us. Not one single drop of judgment can touch you when you're covered in the blood of Jesus. Um, let me give you another illustration. How many of y'all remember over in the Old Testament, 
Uh, I talked about this a few Sundays ago. Just let me remind you again. Uh, you remember um, over there in the Bible when Charlton Heston led the people out of Egypt? <laughs> Moses. And uh, there were ten what? Ten things happened that softened the heart or, or, or broke the heart of the Pharaoh, the king of Egypt, enough that he let the people go. And they were called ten plagues. What was the last one? Death angel. So, here's what God said. Exodus 12, and, and it's not going to come up on the screen, and I didn't put it in the notes because I added this at the last second because I'm the pastor and I get to do stuff like that. So, Exodus 12, 12 through 13. Listen to this now. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt. This is God talking to the Egyptians who are in bondage under Yul Brynner. Pharaoh. On that same night, I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals. I'm telling you, buddy, when the judgment of God came in the Old Testament, you better be under something. <laughs> I don't even know what that means, but anyway. Because um, he could get to you no matter what you were under. And I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. And then he reminds everybody, he says, what does he say? I am the Lord, okay? Verse 13, now listen to this. Uh, the blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are. I love this because it's, it's that old hymn we used to sing in church. When I see the blood. Y'all remember that old song in church? Got any old people here? When I see the blood, I will, everybody say it. I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you when I strike Egypt. So that's a picture of that covering. Because when you're covered in the blood and death comes, I got to tell you something, man. When death comes for a believer, you just passing over. You just passing over on the other side. My, my daddy um, um, always saw to it that we went on a vacation. Uh, it might be the cliffs of the noose, but we're going somewhere. Amen. I mean, my daddy saw to it, and a lot of times we'd go to White Lake, and I mean, if we had a little extra money, we'd go to we'd go to the mountains. Y'all look like go to the mountains. I remember being a little boy, I'd be scared. You know, we coming up on the, it would say, you know, tunnel coming. Tunnel. And I got, there's two things I wanted. I wanted to get real close to daddy because we're about to go through that tunnel. And I wanted him to blow the horn in the tunnel. Amen. Y'all with me? Who's with me out there? It don't take much, you know, to entertain children. And, um, so I get real close, and Daddy said, tunnel five miles, tunnel three miles, tunnel one mile. So I'm just getting closer and closer to him, and he just puts his arm around me, and he's driving. You know, back then, they didn't put you in a car seat. I mean, you could stand up in the trunk. They didn't care what you did back then. <laughs> and I uh, just threw him in the trunk. And um, if we hit something, boy, you better cover your head. And so, uh, <laughs> so I'm real close to Daddy. He's got his arm around me. He's driving, you know, and... Uh, he puts his hand over my eyes, and we go through the tunnel. And then we just come out on the other side, and it's sunny. And that's how a Christian dies. We're coming up on death and coming up, and we're kind of, you know, it's our natural thing. But then God just puts his arm around us, covers up our eyes. We pass through that tunnel and come out on the other side. Amen, amen, amen. Amen, that's right. So let me just close with this. Um, the third thing is the dimensions of the ark. Let's look at that real quick. We've looked at the material. 
And uh, we have looked at the covering. Let's look at the dimensions. Genesis 6, 14 through 16. I've already read that to you. I think the guy's going to pop it back up here for you again on the screen. So God says to Noah, he says, So make yourself an ark of cypress wood and make rooms in it. Rooms. So we know it's big. It's got rooms in it. And coat it with pitch inside and out. Verse 15. This is how you are to build it. The ark is to be 300 cubits. Now, a cubit was about 18 inches. Okay? About 18 inches. I want you to make it 300 cubits long. I want you to make it 50 cubits wide. And I want you to make it 30 cubits high. I want you to make a roof for it, leaving below the roof an opening, a window, one cubit, 18 by 18, you know, by 18 by 18. And put a door in the middle of the ark and make lower, middle, and upper deck. So this tells us it is a big boat. I mean, this thing is huge. When you do the math, listen, this boat is 3 million cubit feet, not feet, but 18 inches, cubic feet of space inside the ark, the size, you say, what, big deal, I mean, why is all that in there? Because here's the picture, the size of the ark, the immensity of the ark is God's way of saying to everybody in this place, there's room for you, there's room for you, there's room for you, plenty of room for all who will come. The dimensions of the ark says to us, if you want the Lord Jesus Christ, then come and take. Because out of his infinite riches, he gives and gives and gives again. I love that scripture that says, he takes care of my needs according to, say it. His riches. Now, if we're going to take care of your needs, according, how many of y'all know the government can't ter- take care of your needs? How many of y'all know that? I mean, because we are already some trillion dollars in debt just trying to take care of everybody. And y'all do know if we stay on that track, everything's going to collapse at some point. You just can't keep doing it. There's only one account that never runs dry, doesn't only never run dry, never is low. It's always full. Every time you dip into God's well, it's full of water. Every time. No matter how many dip, no matter how much you dip, he will meet our needs according to his riches in glory. I love John 3. 16, but if you back up to John 3.15, it says the same thing as John 3.16. Listen to this. That whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. Then you go to verse 16. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Thank God for the huge dimensions of the ark. There's room for you. There's room for you. Great news this morning. The door of the ark is open and there's room for you. But one day, the door will be closed. But the door is open. Thank God for the precious blood of Jesus Christ that covers me, not because I did anything, just because I said I believe. 
I believe you are who you say you are. I believe you did what the Bible says you did, and I believe you did it for me. And I receive your suffering for my sin. I receive your death for my sin. I receive the blood you shed for the washing away of my sin. I receive your resurrection that I might have life. And I turn from myself and I turn from the ways of Satan and I turn from sin and I turn to you, Jesus. And I want to give the rest of my life to you. I want to follow you the rest of my life. It is at that moment that we are covered with the pitch of Jesus inside and out and not one drop of judgment will ever touch you. Let's all stand.